I just got really comfortable asking uncomfortable questions. I would have so deep conversations with drivers and they would share things that I haven't even shared with my wife yet. Like I've seen like grown men cry. I've seen like people share about their sex lives. Wow. Like when we allow ourselves to like lean into kind of really asking the vulnerable question, we oftentimes get like vulnerability in response. And that can create a deep and powerful connection in this like short period of time. Welcome back to another episode of Oh Hi Self. I don't know if you can hear this, but I'm like smiling ear to ear right now. And I'm like, actually like, I was going to say, can you hear my, I feel like my heart is beating really fast because this, this episode is going to be really special to me in a lot of ways. And I'm also just like really excited for it. So I'm going to try to breathe and talk like a normal person and not talk a mile a minute because there's so many things I want to say and so many things I want to ask and call out of the human that I have with me. So before I say anything else, welcome back to Oh Hi Self. This is your home for all things personal development, human potential, manifestation, empowerment, like creating your dream life, all the things I'm obsessed with. I'm on a huge mission to help you create an extraordinary life that you love. And part of the way that I intend to do that is by bringing you really epic guests who can share not just their wisdom and their, you know, all the things that they've learned about these types of topics, but also their lived experiences. And I'm really big on, on bringing you guests who are willing to get vulnerable and real and raw and messy and who will share their story as they are in their imperfection and in their humanness. And today, my guest that I have here is like one of the people who matches that description more than I think anybody that I know. So without further ado, please welcome my so many things. I'll say more about how we know each other in a second. But my friend Edmund Lau. Edmund, thank you so much for being here. Oh, hi, Sandra. Excited to be here. I am going to just throw him out into the middle of the arena right now. So um, <laughs> before I... Well, okay, let me just... I'll give a little bit of context and then I'm going to throw you into the arena. So for the listener, uh, the context here is I had the pleasure of working with Edmund as a client. Um, this feels like a hundred million years ago at this point, because he's been on a journey since then that has taken him to quite a few other places. But back in the day when we met, which was maybe like 2017, I think, all thanks goes to CTI, which is where both of us did our coach training and our leadership training. I know I've talked about them before on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of that organization. They're like the, they were one of the main catalysts for me on my journey. We both did our coach training and leadership training. And in the leadership training that I did, I loved it so much that I immediately went back. It's a 10-month program. I immediately went back and assisted the program. And when I assisted the program, the two leaders who were leading that particular cohort, one was the founder of the entire school, Henry Kinsey House, who is just an absolute legend, recently starting to retire. All the love goes out to Henry. And then the other leader was Carrie Baker. And Carrie is now one of the co-presidents of CTI. But back then, it was her first ever lead of that particular program. So it was this really cool experience to watch the founder and then this young gal who's the same age as me doing her first lead. And you could just tell she was like about to soar to heights. Like she, anyway, uh, so that's how I met Carrie. And then Edmund, you met Carrie because she was one of your leaders for your cohort, right? Yeah, actually, both Henry and Carrie were two of the, we had actually three leaders in our cohort, but Henry and Carrie okay. were two of the three. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize that we had overlapped in that way too. I didn't realize that either. Okay. So, and so you know how, how powerful that duo is. And I just saw Carrie when she was first starting. So I imagine too, when you got to her or yeah. when she got to you, you know, she was even 
bolder and more smoldering in her power. But so, and I think, was it she, like you were looking for a coach and... Yeah, I was looking for, I was looking for a coach, someone, someone who could help cultivate more of my fire. And Carrie just pointed me to you. Thank you, Carrie, for that introduction. You sparked a whole lot of magical things thanks to that one thing. Uh, did you know that Carrie officiated my wedding? I did. You mentioned that last time. That's right. Yeah. So um, I was actually going to have both Henry and Carrie officiate it and he couldn't make it in the last minute because he had to go be with family for some stuff. But Carrie was there and it was um, amazing. So anyway, so much love to Carrie and Henry and CTI and all of that. But anyway, so um, Edmund and I worked together. <laughs> you you started out as just like a regular client. We did our, you know, six months or whatever. And then Edmund was one of those people who I was like, okay, this person is so down. Like you're not just here to, you know, work on your goals and move forward in your life. I was like, you're ready. You're, you want to go in. And so then we mm -hmm. worked together in, you know, some different capacities over the years. He stuck with me like on and off for, I think two or three years total. And, um, just one of the stories that I wanted to throw out was that he was part of my program at a time where I was starting to do some VIP days and like in-person experiences. And I was designing these one day VIP days basically as a, like a mysterious surprise. And, you can't necessarily do that with every client, but with Edmund, I was just like, I know he's so down. So I would literally be like, okay, our VIP day is Saturday. Is there anything you don't want to do? And he'd be like, no, you know? And then I would just be like, hey, show up at this time at this place and here's what to bring. And then I would just take him through all these like random experiences. And maybe we'll touch on some of those later, but um, that's the context. So Edmund is my former client. He's a colleague in the coaching world. He's a friend and he is someone that I look up to and someone who is now like a huge role model for me because a lot of the areas that he has delved very deeply into are ones that I'm so hungry to learn more about. So um, part of me interviewing you today, other than sharing you uh, with the world, is also selfishly just like, I want to I want to dig into the depths <laughs> of your soul and pull out some of your magic just for myself. So um, I thought it would be fun to introduce you to our listener first by, again, throwing you into the arena and letting you share um, one of the things that is um, most alive for you right now. So can you tell us about the 30-day container that you were just sharing with me earlier? Yeah, it's a 30-day sex container. And it's basically a container where my wife Candace and I are every day confronting whatever blocks to sexual intimacy show up that day. And the idea for it came, I'm going to say a little over a month ago. You know, we're thinking about starting to try to have kids this year and like get her IUD removed. And like as the time for the appointment was coming closer, I realized a part of me was actually getting afraid. Like I was afraid that, oh my gosh, her when she's pregnant, her body's going to change, um, her desire for sex might, might go down, and uh, we're going to have less time, less energy. It's like, oh my gosh, what if like our sex life starts suffering? And this was kind of a particularly like even more sensitive topic for me because before meeting Candace, um, I was actually in this 17-year-long relationship um, where there was a lot of sexual shame. It was like uh, primarily like sexless marriage. So there was like a just deep-rooted fear of like, oh my gosh, if, uh, if we don't do something about this, I might end up in a marriage where like I'm like once again, just like not enjoying our sex life. And a particular piece that felt scary to me, it's like, you know, we both had this desire to have a, you know, we talked about having dreams of just like, yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful if we just had sex every day and maybe multiple times per day. But I would find that like, we would only be able to do that maybe three or four days in a row before like something would just throw us off. Like we would both want to have sex, but like 
something gets triggered. Like like once one of our childhood traumas get kicked, kicked up or like some wounding gets kicked up and we just end up in some kind of like argument or fight. We like push each other away and we feel like less connected than we even, than when we even started with. And so there was just like a lot of fear that like, oh my gosh, it's only going to get harder with kids. And if we don't figure out our shit, if we just like don't, aren't able to navigate the issues that come up in sex, it's only going to get harder. I just took a bit of courage to like bring that up and like to even ask for a 30 day sex container. Um, there was like a lot of fear that, oh my gosh, this might create a lot of pressure around sex. But it was also clear that this was something that I needed to ask for in order to just like feel in integrity with myself. Um, and also just to create the type of relationship that I wanted. Um, and we're on day, we're on day 20 so far. Uh, and it's been one of the most magical um, and like healing experiences that we've had. Amazing. And you like, you're speaking to such a, I mean, a very universal human tendency, which is when something, when we're afraid to even bring something up because we're so like the, just the thought of the confrontation or the thought of what if I, hurt their feelings or how are they going to respond or what if this ruins everything like we're so afraid to even bring up the topic that's uncomfortable yeah and then most people just don't i feel both excited and nervous to talk about it because i've never talked about it i was talking about friends but i haven't really talked about it in this like public fashion before but yeah i totally agree with you it's like it's such a important topic people talk about which is kind of the thing that's like feeling desire to both share it on this podcast but also to to write about it too and thank you, first of all, for allowing me to be the first place that you're sharing this publicly. I'm super <laughs> honored. One of the things I've been doing pretty regularly is reading his newsletters and his Substack recently, and like wholly vulnerable shares about all the things there. So if you would like to see a beautifully modeled example of a man who is not afraid to go there or is afraid and goes there anyway, both, right? And like <laughs> one of the things I love about you most is how you model men being vulnerable and working through all the things, all the societal conditioning and internal blocks and and all the things that block all of us, but men, especially in our culture to go there. And it gets me so full of hope and excited to see. Mm. I, I think it's happening more and more in, in tiny pockets, but I want so much more of it. And you are, I really consider you a thought leader in that regard. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. To create a little bit of contrast from here you are, <laughs> sharing about your sex life um, in a very open and honest way, just to give people a contrast, like you were not always like this. You certainly wouldn't have done this maybe, you know, X number of years ago. So just to give the listener an idea of where you came from and how you got here to where you are today, I'd love to kind of talk a little bit about your journey, but specifically like way back, like what are your roots? How did you start out family and career wise? I think when we first met, you know, I was still an engineer in Silicon Valley, like a very, you know, rooted in the startup world. I come from a family of, when I think about it, it's really kind of entrepreneurs and healers. Like my family owns a herb store in San Francisco, Chinatown. And it's actually the oldest herb store in California. Uh, they just yeah. recently celebrated their 50th anniversary earlier this year. It's kind of taken a while for me to, to kind of connect back to my, like both like entrepreneurial roots, but also kind of like my healing roots. Like my grandfather was a doctor. Um, and like a lot of the work that I'm doing today, it's really sort of focused on, on healing. It's kind of like healing all these different, like, you know, not necessarily physical wounds, but like these emotional wounds that we carry so that we can come into like deeper integrity and love with ourselves. But when we first met, you know, I was still very much, you know, focused on 
okay, I can call it effectiveness in engineering. Like I've written a book called The Effective Engineer. I was a very system, I, mean, I still am a very systems oriented thinker, um, but I was kind of applying all of my like logical systems oriented skills, all my like model making and like framework making in the domain of, of engineering uh, and like products and engineering. And if you like compared today, compared that to today, it's like the same foundations are there. Like I'm still kind of using my engineering mind, but now it's like focused much more on our internal emotional experience. It's like, how do our emotions actually work inside our bodies? Like how mm-hmm. do different emotions actually work? Like what is actually happening when we're in say like an intimate partnership and one person gets, gets triggered? Like how does that, ha- like where does that reaction come from? How do we, heal the wound that creates that trigger so that it no longer happens how do we repair from the ruptures that triggers create and so i'm still taking a very systems oriented approach toward it and there's a lot of kind of like self-inquiry and self-experimentation where previously i might have applied that to engineering and products and like kind of what's the thing that makes products grow Um, now it's much more how do we like how do we apply the same types of like thinking but how do we make help ourselves grow so how does one I, so I think a lot of people in my world and, and network and um, who might be listening to this podcast, they'll see like traditional kind of path, you know, engineer. I'm as an immigrant myself, I, t- I think I tend to attract a lot of immigrants or children <clears throat> of immigrants. And it's it's fascinating how similar the mentality is with a lot of immigrants who come to the U.S. And it's like American dream and work hard and go to good school, yada, yeah. yada. And there's like a few paths that are acceptable. It's like engineering, <laughs> medicine law or like something respectable and corporate, you know, like I don't think any of our immigrant parents or many of them would have been like, go be a healer, (laughs) go be, you know, whatever this weird coaching is thing is that barely existed when they were (laughs) first getting here, you know? So, so I think the, the beginning roots of having like such a kind of traditional path, like how do you explain to someone who's maybe still pretty caught in like mainstream ways of thinking and just like, you know, the conventional roadmap for life and success. Like, how did you go from being in that to then pivoting? I mean, it was a series of multiple pivots and and slight course corrections that led you there. But like how to go from like engineer guy who writes a book to essentially coach healer and someone focused so much on human emotion and connection and intimacy. The starting point really happened actually during that like CTI leadership retreat uh, program. Um, like, there was one retreat, it was, took, it, was, it was a retreat focused on how as leaders, um, like vulnerabilities were important. It's like uh, intimacy is really important. Like letting people see into your inner world is really important to be uh, like a really strong leader in the world. And I remember there was one night where I like went back to my room, um, maybe it was the second day of the retreat. And I just started sobbing in the middle of the night, just like this complete mm-hmm. breakdown. And I'd realized that, oh, wow, I've been carrying like a, like a secret that I felt ashamed of um, that I hadn't shared with anyone in my life. And it just became so clear after, like, during that retreat that like, oh my gosh, if I don't let people in on this thing that I've been carrying, I'll just never feel close to anyone in my life. And so the next day I decided to reach out to one of the, like uh, a friend in the program, my dear friend, like uh, Sarah, I just started telling her about how I couldn't even tell the entire thing. Like I, I was, I could only surface that. Oh my gosh! Like my my wife at that time, my previous wife, and I like couldn't couldn't carry kids, and it was something that we like couldn't talk about with people because there was just like so much shame around it. 
and even from that point, it took like another year before, before I could start talking about the shame around sex that I felt in that marriage. But the experience I had when I opened up and started just sharing was just this absolute acceptance and warmth and like non-judgment. And I just felt the sensation in my body of like, oh my gosh, like this feeling of just like deep acceptance for something that I had shamed myself for for so long. Like that's the feeling that I've been like wanting all of my life that I didn't even know. Um, like this feeling of like deep acceptance of like who I was. And when I got that hit, like it almost, it like seriously, it just kind of felt like crack. It was like, oh my gosh, how do I, how do I cultivate more of this feeling of acceptance? It's like, you know, everything I'd been doing up until that point in life, I might not have known it consciously back then, but you know, all the achievements, all the book writing, you know, up there, like climbing the ladder, like all of it was really just to create this like deeper sense of acceptance of self. It's like so many people, and I'm like, I was kind of in that boat. And I kind of believe you have to like somehow earn love, or, like earn acceptance. And I was kind of on that track. And it wasn't until sort of that first moment during that retreat where, uh, like, I started getting a, an inkling that okay, like actually, if I can share and open up more about more of myself and like let those parts be loved by other people, that can help me start loving those parts myself. And that just became this like new thing I started pursuing in life. It's like how do I how do I create deeper connection in my life? Like, how do I create this like deep sense of intimacy that people think, can, you know, people think like intimacy takes years to create. Like I was in my first marriage for like, you know, in that relationship for 17 years. And I thought, oh my gosh, deep intimacy, like takes that long to create. I don't have that many chances to create that level of intimacy. But as I started like learning from that experience and later experiences, it's like, Oh, actually, when you open yourself up and you allow yourself to be seen, like deep intimacy can actually be created in, in like very powerful moments, in like short periods of time. And that just completely changed my life. Um, like when we realized that we can create connection intentionally and like super fast, it's like so much more becomes possible. And it's so like it's so delicious for lack of a, a better word, like all of the I mean, it. I mean, so many of my clients in my world and and just people I grew up with and our culture, I think, is achievement-based, right? Like, I really believe that we live right. in a, an achievement-based paradigm. And I'm, I'm all good with achievements in general. Like, they can be really satisfying and fun and exhilarating and exciting. And it's nice to have something to aim for if you also can find your fulfillment and satisfaction and sense of self and acceptance in those things internally. But of course, if people are only going after the achievement, it's like something will always be missing. But then you start to insert... Yeah even just like tiny little droplets of like the tiniest nibble of a taste of real connection and intimacy, like you said, which can be connected so quickly if it's done, especially in like a, a safe container where you feel like you can, you can, yeah, safe. You feel like you can trust people and, and it's maybe still scary as fuck, but you can open up because you're not going to be like torn apart. Um, and I think Unfortunately, so many people don't have any safe places like that, or they've never experienced one, or they didn't, don't even know that they're missing out on it. But then it's like, it really is like this. It's like an addiction in the best possible way. You get a little taste of it and you're like, oh my God, this, I didn't know life yeah. could feel like this. Yeah, there, there's that. And there's also this learned realization that the creation of intimacy is just like another muscle that we can, we can build. Like one of the things I started doing after that retreat, I, just, I decided to, you know, I spent like as an engineer back then, I just didn't really know how to create deep connection with people, but I knew that it was something I wanted. And so I started doing this like two year experiment where uh, for two years, I was taking a lot of Ubers and Lyfts back then. And so I would just hop in the front seat of every Uber and Lyft ride. 
And I would just play this game with myself. It's like, how deep of a conversation can I get with the Uber and Lyft driver in however long this trip is in the shortest amount of time possible? And I think there was maybe like 350 or more like Lyft and Uber rides over those two years. And I just got really comfortable asking uncomfortable questions. And I realized that like, actually, when I feel more comfortable asking these questions, people feel comfortable a- answering them. And like, we would have out of so deep conversation with drivers and they would share things that sometimes they, they, they would share at the end. Oh, like I haven't even shared it to my wife yet. Like I've seen like grown men cry. I've seen like people share about like their sex lives. It was just this awe that, wow, like when we allow ourselves to like lean into kind of really asking the vulnerable question, we oftentimes get like vulnerability in response. And that can create a deep and powerful connection in this like short period of time. And it just became this muscle that I started working. It's like, how do I create deep connection with people like wherever I am? I remember those challenges well when you were in the midst of them. It was so fun to witness. Uh, I'm trying to think of what some of my favorite stories were that like, was it when, when you were doing like the 100 day uncomfortable uncomfortable conversation version? And I think you were like standing on the BART platform one day and just were, we were like, I'm going to ask people for money. <laughs> yeah, that was, one, that was one of the hardest things to do back then. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Yeah. Probably froze for like 20 minutes before I could finally like actually do that, do that challenge. How many people did it take to ask that until it became more comfortable or did it ever get comfortable? Uh, I don't know if that particular one ever became comfortable, but I think what I appreciated about these challenges were they were, they felt like this, this sandbox, um, this container for just practicing the muscle of like being more vulnerable with the context of strangers. And I'm like taking a lot of that practice now to things, especially like partnership. Um, like I feel like our our intimate partnership to something that that's like a domain that I feel particularly excited about in terms of bringing more uh, like tools, awareness, consciousness towards. And sometimes it's like really it's like really scary to share a part of yourself with your partner that you think might be judged or um, they might get angry at you for, or you might get shamed for. And yet the more that we can create space to share those things, like the deeper the feeling of love and delight and like commitment and juiciness, like all of that comes from, from that. hundred percent. I feel that when I'm, whenever I'm the recipient of someone's vulnerability, and I would like to think that I've trained most of the people in my kind of inner circle and people who really know me, yeah. I think I've trained them to know that I'm like the, like, I want all of it. <laughs> like, give me, give me your raw, give me your messy, give me like the, everything that you think I'll judge you for. That's exactly what I want to know, <laughs> you know? Um, but w- anytime people share those things with me, it, it's like, everything that they might be afraid of, like, oh, she's going to judge me or she's going to reject me after this, or she's going to think less. I, it's the exact opposite. I feel honored. I feel like lit up. Like I, my whole body comes alive. I lean in. I like, I list, I'm probably more present with somebody when they're really showing me their soul and their heart and getting vulnerable than I am any other time. And then Mm. I feel so much more connected to them. I like, I fall deeper and deeper in love with them in whatever our relationship context is. Like, it's such a gift. And it's one that I, I mean, it's my wish for every human on the planet to experience whatever spectrum, whatever range of that, that they're comfortable with. And then I'll push those edges and lean more into it. So it really is such, it's like one of at least my favorite parts of existence. Yeah. And there's another piece about that where like a lot of times the things that, the thing that creates this connection is, you know, we're in some emotional experience and we feel like other people might not be okay with us being in that emotional experience. And so rather than letting them see us in that, we kind of like push them away first. 
so that they don't have a chance to like reject uh, us. You know, like looping back to the thing I was saying about the sex encounter, that's like something that we're kind of actively incorporating into this 30 day container that we're building where every day Candace and I are kind of bringing into the container, like whatever emotional experience is, is present that day. And so like one day I might like, it was a, a day recently where I woke up just feeling almost like overwhelmed, bordering toward terror at, oh my gosh, I've like somehow signed up for like my, my, my June is like fill up full of travel and just like sign up so many things. And in that state, there was like a desire to kind of like really kind of push her away because like I'm not okay with my own terror. And so I'm not going to let you be with me in my terror. And like mm-hmm. part of the practice in this 30 container is like bring that terror into the sexual practice so that I get the felt experience of like being loved in my terror. Like I'm literally mm-hmm. going to make it in my terror. And like, can I be, can I feel the okayness that the terror is there? And that's kind of the, the practice that we're really cultivating for ourselves. It's like whatever emotional experience is showing up that day where the inclination might be to push each other away because we're having a hard time dealing with it. Can we just like bring it in to our lovemaking? And can we essentially like bring love to the part of us that feels like it's not lovable or to the emotional experience that feels like it's not lovable? Um, and so we're incorporating a lot of both, I would say like, some parts work. Like we're both kind of like trained in like parts work and like you know neuro linguistic programming, and like we've done like sacred sexuality training. So we're kind of like weaving together this like tapestry of modalities that we've learned, uh, and basically practicing on ourselves um, as a way of creating even like deeper levels of like trust and connection. So many of us are so afraid to feel certain feelings more than others. And I would love to yeah. hear your perspective on, especially, I think for women, a lot of the time it can be anger and rage because culturally or societally, we've been trained to think that, you know, women are, you can be sad, but you're not allowed to be mad because like people are afraid of a, you know, angry ass woman or whatever. And then men are like allowed to be mad, but not sad because vulnerability makes men yeah. look weak and blah, blah, like old, it's, it's, I'm, I'm so tired of those stories, but can you speak to a little bit yeah. about just what it can look like or how it feel like, or whether it's your own experience or supporting someone else in that, but to allow yourself to go to the, the emotional places that maybe historically you've been afraid, too afraid to go to? I think anger is a particularly potent example because there's so much, so much power in anger and also so much fear around it. Um, like a lot of society kind of points towards or you know says manage your anger control your anger and all of that is just kind of this like suppression of emotional energy and rarely are we ever taught how to actually release our anger or move our anger in healthy ways like when we feel angry you know my experience of anger is oftentimes there's like it's almost like an energy in my chest that just wants to erupt and when i try to hold it back like that just feels it's almost like stifling a fire you know, it doesn't feel great, but also like exploding and like kind of like raging at someone like that's also not something that we want. And so how do we healthily and consciously move the energy of anger when it's there? Because when we, when we are able to move it, like it creates such deep aliveness and like clarity around like what we want or what our boundaries might be. And it feels so good. Yeah, and it, feel, it feels really good, and like actually, there's actually a feeling of empowerment. Actually, yeah, move it yeah. in a healthy way. You know, I I have various 
kind of like anger release practices that I'll do on my own. Um, but sometimes I'll also ask for support, like in my, you know, I have a, I have a local men's group in Boulder and there have been you know, at least two or three times where like I show up to men's group and I actually feel, still feel like triggered. Like there's, there's some anger in my body from earlier that day. And I'll just ask the men to kind of like hold my arms back as I'm like raging and like letting out my anger at another man who's just like looking in my eyes with like nothing but love. And it, it, it's, it's like a way for, for me to both move the anger, the energy of anger in my body, but also for me to get an experience where, oh, it's okay for me to like release my anger. Like I'm still loved in my anger. Um, like I grew up in a household where you know, neither sadness nor anger really modeled in healthy ways. And so there's kind of like a lifetime of suppression that I've had to, you know, like open the lid towards. And that type of experience where I get to move the anger and then still receive love and response, it like kind of tells my system, okay, it's like actually okay to unrestrict the anger. And when the anger isn't restricted, you know, it kind of just shows up more as just like a like a firm boundary, maybe like, like no thanks to that. It doesn't come up kinked, come out kinked in the ways that it normally does. It's so healing to to get it up and out. And the more we practice and the more we strengthen the muscle of getting it to come up and out by actually going through it, then the more, yeah, exactly. It's it, Then anger just becomes part of your, part of your range of emotions. And it's a really right. useful and cathartic and amazing place to go. When, and when you know how to do it in a healthy way, and especially when you can be supported in it and seen in it, it's like, then I really believe that like our range of emotions is so vast and so wide. And most of us live in this tiny little, like I'm gesturing with my hands. I'm making like a, like a foot long <laughs> sandwich right now. Most of us are so afraid of our darker emotions. So we stifle all of our emotions. And then we also limit our, you know, bliss and ecstasy and joy and fulfillment also because we just stay in this really safe little rigid range. But when we allow ourselves to go to like grief and rage and all of those, and we practice that, then by default, the upper range also gets bigger. And then we start to experience more and more. 100%. And I, I think anger is also one of those emotions where like, you have to let yourself get messy before it can get clean. There's definitely been a big chapter of my anger journey where when I felt angry, I had to sort of remove myself, go, go to another room, I might be like punching pillows, I might be like just yelling, fuck you really loud. And, you know, because there was this like lifetime of like suppression of anger, like unsuppressing the anger, actually letting it be voc like vocalized externally is a big part of like teaching myself that like, okay, the emotion of anger is like, okay, it's normal. Like the it's okay for the energy to move. And now I'm at a point where I'm starting to be able to like, just allow the anger to erupt in internally in my body, where previously it felt like there might be fear toward erupting outwards. Now there's like enough conscious control over like, yeah, I could do that. But I'm also just going to choose to like, let it erupt internally now. And, and that wouldn't have been a choice available had I not also gone through the messy part of the journey. And just for the listener, so for anyone who's like, interested in maybe exploring, allowing their emotions more freely, and maybe doing some work around like how to how to figure out how to like, what are the tools and things I'm thinking back to actually one of our VIP days way back in the day where I would do, you know, I'd bring Edmund to like some random location that bring in different facilitators. And I remember, I forget exactly what the context mm -hmm. was, but we were in some co working um, spot in downtown San Francisco. And I brought in this facilitator person and we're, I forget what we're talking about this matter. But at one point he was like, would you be willing to yell into a jacket right now? You know, like we're in yeah. a public place in a co-working, we're in like a little room, but it has glass windows and stuff. And you were like, 
absolutely. <laughs> you took this jacket <laughs> and just like primal screamed into it a number of times. And I remember just sitting there and witnessing it and being like, how cool. Like, hey, I just love witnessing anybody in their, you know, allowing themselves to feel emotions. But just the fact that we were doing it in a public place felt really yeah. edgy and vulnerable and cool. And it was just, I was just like, oh, this is so like healthy and I want this for everyone. And that's kind of like, so one tool is just allowing yourself to primal scream, obviously being mindful of the context. Like if you're walking down the street and you start primal screaming, people might get worried. But like, for me, I always do it in the car. Typically it's like when I'm driving, I crank up the radio, I grip the steering wheel and I let out, it's this primal scream that I don't think anyone else has ever heard it. Possibly my husband once or twice, but it's like, cause I can't fake yeah. it. I have to have some like actual ragey, griefy, anger happening. And then I just amplify it and I turn up the dial. I also don't do it that often because my throat always hurts really badly for the rest of the day. Right. So it's like a, you know, use it mindfully, but then th that would be like one tool or yelling into a pillow or, or, you know, punching your bed or yeah. whatever, but then all the way going up to the more kind of advanced settings, like you're describing with your men's group, when you have other people who you trust, who you have sort of like a designed container and people are in agreement that we are here supporting each other. And there's just like love and acceptance. Yeah. And as you're sharing that, I'm also reminded of like, you know, there was a, a chapter that kind of overlapped with COVID a little bit where, you know, when I would feel tension or anger in my body, I would just like yell into my hands. Uh, and I would sometimes do it even on the street. It'd be like, it'd look really weird, but like it felt better to look weird than to just keep holding this like constriction in my body. You know, when we think about, when we think about animals, it's like, you know, if you like our pet dog, um, whenever she's, she feels afraid, like she'll shake it off. Uh, or like when we, when we go to a pond and we see ducks and the ducks get chased by, by a dog, once they land, they like shake it off. And so like other mammals know to like shake off these like traumatic experiences in their, in their body. And like these examples, primal screams, punching pillows, yelling into our hands. Like those are just other ways of like rem remove, like releasing this otherwise like stuck energy in our bodies. That's just, it, it's just like what other animals do anyway. So much of what I see holding people back kind of across the board in all different places of life, but oftentimes, especially with the demographic I tend to work with, with like very high achieving professionals living in kind of a conventional paradigm is, you know, there's such a focus on the intellectual and the cerebral. And if people are doing any sort yeah. of inner work, it's like talk therapy, where it's just you're talking about your feelings, but you're not feeling your feelings. And, and it's very mm -hmm. in your head and you're sitting there with your legs crossed and you're, you know, having this conversation with your therapist or you're maybe talking to a friend or, you know, like the classic example with just a bunch of girls getting together and like talking shit or something. But we're so bad at actually using our bodies and feeling our feelings in our bodies and using our bodies to move the energy, like you said, that animals know how to do so well. And even babies, you know, babies yeah. just like let the tantrums out. And I think we can learn so much from the creatures and the animals that haven't been conditioned to be so rigid. Because I think our rigidity yep. and our fear of what we're going to look like is one of the biggest things that holds us back. Yeah. And one of my... Um... This really feel, felt like a breakthrough when it happened. Like one of my proudest accomplishments recently in that sex container was there was one day where I got triggered from something in the middle of sex. I forget. I don't know remember what it was, but I paused and like actually did like an anger release like during sex. And then after I moved the anger energy, just like came back together and we were like golden. And that just felt like from a chapter of my life where I felt so afraid of my anger that I would have to either suppress or like go off into the, another room to like now being able to just move the anger energy it's like okay i'm okay i'm back to normal again and then continue it just feels like like night and day i mean the the to go to be able to do it in the most literally the most naked vulnerable right. <laughs> time, <laughs> like 
So cool. So cool. Um, I think for, for many of us who are on this journey, it's like we kind of start in an intellectual place with, with awareness and with starting to understand maybe our, where our conditioning or past traumas or like how things are getting in our way. And then maybe we move to a place of like, okay, I'm realizing I, I don't need to, I need to not just talk about my emotions and think about them. I need to actually feel my feelings. And then there's these tools and practices and ways to feel your emotions more. But then there's also this whole other realm of like something that I consider you much more well-versed in. So I really want to dig into it more is like the somatic side of things of moving our body, not just feeling our feelings and feeling sad and crying, but like using our body as a tool, as a vehicle to process trauma, to move energy and all these things. And I would love to actually start that conversation by talking about your journey into dance. Anyone who's listening to this podcast or follows me on social media knows that dance is one of my biggest passions. I'm obsessed with it. I post all the weird dance videos. Like I'm always dancing. I'm always... It's been such an important part of my journey, mostly just as a as a as an expression, as self expression and play. It's like one of the times I feel most wild and free. Like late night dancing with friends at a house party, I'm like in my in my thong, like head banging. I'm crawling around all fours, like very like a primal animal. I'm like sitting like a gargoyle on the. I just that's when I get the most kind of into my power. I think is when I'm dancing. Mm. But I think your story is so unique because you went from someone you know kind of the like more like classic engineer guy who probably not very much into moving his body and dance, and then now you're at this place that I would say is like very far along the journey of being embodied yeah. and in your body. And so I'll just share that my because I was with you just at the very very like preamble part of your journey. And then I would love to have you explain where you went from there. So my introduction to your introduction to dance was, I remember we were wherever we were in our, our work together. And you started talking about things like you wanted to work on your like physical, I think you phrased it as like physical confidence. Like you wanted to just, you know, mm-hmm. be able to hold your body with more confidence and feel more empowered and that kind of stuff. And to my mind, I was like, okay, how do I help someone with physical confidence? I was like, dance is a vehicle, you know? And I was like, I love it. And so on one of these VIP days, I remember rented out a little yoga studio and I brought in this one gal who was a Latin dance teacher. And then this other guy who was a, what do we even call him? He was like a, um, like, I don't know, interpretive dance or like movement Mm. specialist, something. We basically just rolled around on the ground for a while, I think, and experimented with like being in different planes. And then you and I did like a a silly walk (laughs) to the lunch place. And we're just, we were in our bodies all day, just like rolling around and laughing and, and moving in lots of different ways. But that to me was like, that was like just at the very beginning of your journey. And since then, just mm-hmm. hearing from you and watching what you've shared online and in different places, like you have taken your dance journey to such a different level to festivals and tantra training or tantra trainings and all sorts of things. So what would you want to share in terms of your highlights about what dance has meant for you in this journey? I think it was just last week when I was, um, I was in I was middle, middle of an ayahuasca ceremony and I was just having one of the most epic dances of my life where it just it just felt like my body was moving itself to the music in the most beautiful and creative and like almost like my my body was like devoted to the movement as a form of prayer and i was reflecting on like how far i'd come on like from just like six years ago where i think it was six years ago was the first time i did something called ecstatic dance which is now become a like a very weekly practice for me like i go every week um and ecstatic dance is basically it's a practice that exists like all over the world and it's a community of people who gathered together there's either like a like a dj playing or sometimes there's live music too and it's a no talking environment no shoes and people are just 
freeform moving their bodies. I remember when I first discovered ecstatic dance, it felt like a whole new world was opening up. Because before ecstatic dance, I dabbled in various like partner dances with my ex-wife. And I always felt very heady about it. Like the engineer in me was trying to like, okay, what's the next step? Like, where do I move my foot next? And it was a, a very like from the head, like remembering the move, sequence of moves, like trying to calculate where I'm trying to go. Um, I didn't feel like I had any sense of rhythm or beat. Like my partners would have to count, like some of my, my ex-wife would like count out the beats for me or like people would back lead. And I just felt so unsure of myself on the dance floor. And like, there was so much focus on like trying to get it right. And when I discovered ecstatic dance and there was just, you just move however you want to move. And there was like no like correct or right way to move. It just changed everything. Like I started seeing other people move so freely on the dance floor. And it's like, oh, I want that. Um, like see people like rolling on the ground. It's like, oh, I want to feel comfortable doing that. And it just became so clear to me that like I've, I've, I've held that dance is really just like a metaphor for life. You know, in, in life, we're all oftentimes kind of like worried about what other people think. We like kind of second guess ourselves and then we don't really know what to do. But when we realize that, oh, if you just, if you're just following your own joy and you're just tapping into like what makes you feel good, um, then it doesn't really matter what other people think. And the same thing is true with dance. It's like in the beginning, I would be on the dance floor and I would feel very self-conscious about trying to roll on the floor. It's like, this feels really awkward. And then over time, I kind of found that, oh, if I'm just following my own joy in the music, then it doesn't really matter what like anyone else's experience in my dance is. And suddenly I started enjoying myself a lot more and I started having more fun. And uh, I found that my, oh, my body actually naturally knows how to move to music. Like if I stop, if I stop trying to count things or I stop trying to figure things out and I'm just following what feels good to my body, dance suddenly becomes fun. And like every time I'm, moving on the dance floor and staying in my body instead of my head it just becomes a further like embodied practice of doing that in life where can i just keep following my joy can i keep following the thing that actually lights me up that actually makes me feel alive because the more that i do that the more in life i'm like staying in my body and taking a very embodied approach toward life and like not trying to like figure out like what's the right thing to do what the right thing to say is and that just leads to such a such like a happier and like fulfilling way to live. I think dance or, you know, substitute whatever other kind of movement somebody might prefer instead. Maybe it's a form or form of martial arts or I don't know, gymnastics or something. But I think the unique yeah. thing with dance with dance is combining it with music and beat. And like it, there's just there's such an ambiance that gets created and it's like you can you can feel the energy and the electricity, especially when you're in a group of people. But it's a way, I think one of the best ways to turn down the dial on external expectation, you know, societal pressure, our own conditioning, our own ego and fears and limiting beliefs, because it literally gets us out of our head and into our body. And then the more we're in our body, the more we have access to things like our intuition and our, our gut, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like the more that we can tap into that in daily life, the more that we can make decisions from a place that's truly authentic and much more empowered rather than one that's based on what on shoulds and external things that may or may not be aligned for us at all. Yeah. And I would add that the other thing that dance has really given me is a much more powerful way of like connecting with people. Um, I feel like in that 
that two year like Uber and Lyft experiment. Like I learned a lot about how to know how to like open my heart, how to how to like ask vulnerable questions. Um, and some of that, you know, is still coming from like a heart or like head place. But in dance, it's like, how do you create connection on the dance floor? Like, how do you lo- allow your body to kind of learn and attune to someone else's movement? You know, as I kind of went to more workshops and festivals or just more ecstatic dances and I started dancing with more people, like I started finding that, oh, like I could share a really intimate dance with someone like a stranger and somehow they magically feel like so much closer to them than I could ever have felt after say like a five or seven minute conversation, like a five or seven minute dance. Sometimes I would find that, oh my gosh, I feel so at home with this person, or maybe I feel so like attracted to this person. There's like just so much like is communicated in the body. That's that like the mind and our words can't even begin to start doing. And, you know, like my wife Candace and I, like we actually like our deep connection came on the dance floor. They came at an ecstatic dance in San Francisco where we danced for, I want to say like 40, 45 minutes together. It was like one of the most beautiful dances I've experienced. It was like fun, playful, sexy, just like sometimes silly. And we were connected in so many different ways. And at the end of the dance, it's like, oh yes, like I definitely won't feel attracted to this person. Definitely want to date this person. And so I asked her out afterwards. And it was just like, there was just so much information that was communicated in a single dance that yeah. would have taken a lot longer to communicate if we were just using words. I remember back in my early days in San Francisco, I was going to a blues event. It was called Friday Night Blues. And I would go like kind of mm. weekly for a while. And I, I was much more of a, I did partner dance back in the day too. So I was more well-versed in like Lindy Hop and, um, but blues was kind of adjacent. So I, I knew the basics and I felt kind of like half decent as long as I had like a strong lead I could follow pretty well. But I remember this one dance with this one person for all the reasons you just described will like forever be yeah. just burned into my memory. I remember it's this guy who's like significantly shorter than me too. And we start blues dancing and he just was so like, so intentional and clear in his leadership mm. in the dancing that I, I went from feeling like I'm like a decent beginner mediate blues dancer, but just the, he was communicating through, it was like eye contact and then a very firm grip, which again, beautiful metaphor for life. Like when someone holds you firmly, but with like love and acceptance and curiosity, it's not control. It's not like domination. It's not like you will go this way. He would just be kind of like, I could feel the, the slightest pressure of, you know, two of his fingers in the middle of my back. And it was like, we are going this way. And it was so clear. Mm-hmm. And I just remember the whole dance being like, Hey, like, I feel like I know exactly what he wants me to do. Cause it's so clear, but a bit subtle and like yeah. it was a gentle firm hold. And then I also remember at one point he dipped me and like, I'm a tall person. I'm like a big girl. And so generally if somebody tries to dip me in any dancing contest, I kind of brace because I'm like ready to just, yeah. you know, bail <laughs> so I don't get dropped on my head. But I trusted this person 100% because I could tell mm. that he had me, you know, and I was probably like w- way taller and heavier, but I could tell that he was going to catch me and he dipped me dramatically, caught me like half an inch off the floor and I completely surrendered. And again, like that feels like such a metaphor for life because I was like, I felt so safe in that to, you know, five minute dancing container that I was able to surrender. And then I remember right afterwards, a tango song came on and a lot of blues people do like a tango blues fusion. I knew very little tango. I knew like maybe some super mm. basics. And so I just feel like a basically an idiot when I try to tango, but same thing happened where he knew enough of the steps and he led me in such a way where I was like, suddenly I felt like the sexiest, most dramatic tango dancer on the dance floor. And I was like, how is he, what 
voodoo magic is this? But it was all in the body language. It was in, in the way he was communicating and leading and just like the look of safety and all of that. And that was one of the times too, where I was like, holy shit, the power of dance and holy shit, the power of nonverbal communication and the, Mm. the, the connection, the bond that can happen between two people just simply through movement. Yeah. I got, I got chills hearing your story. Just like the, there's so much power in just being able to really drop into our bodies and like stay with that, like the experience in our bodies. That's a lot of what like I'm wanting to do with candidates and I work with couples. It, it's like, how do we help more people have more access to like dropping into the emotional experience of their bodies? The, my, my first therapist was like a talk therapist and it was just like a lot of like talking. And, you know, it was kind of like the best tool that I was aware of back then. But now after like dance and body men and all these other other trainings, it's like, oh, actually when we can drop into our bodies and like be really present and clear with our emotional experience, like that sense of safety and trust that you can describe in your dance, like that's something that we can also experience in our partnership as well. Like we can we can essentially have our bodies broadcast trust and safety when we're each kind of in our emotional experience. And the more that we can cultivate tools and practices to support that. I just think the, the more like deeply connected and thriving our relationships can be. So, so true. So in one of the things I love giving people in general, but especially on this podcast too, is really practical tools. So if someone is listening right now and they're like, yes, that, okay. Like I've, you know, maybe done some talk therapy, but I haven't really experienced any of this like emotional embodiment stuff. And I have a partner and I want to connect more, but I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) Like if someone wanted to start with maybe some basic things, like what are, what would be a good place for if assuming both people are on board (laughs) and they're willing to, to go there, like two people sit down and they want to connect more and have more greater intimacy. Like where do they start? Yeah. It's like one one of the the best starter questions, like especially when, you know, any, any time that say like we're triggered, for instance, like, that just comes from a fear. Like there's some part of us that's afraid. And when we're afraid, the tendency is to kind of like go out of our bodies because we don't want to really feel the actual experience of fear. And so we might go out of our bodies by uh, getting angry at our partner and like trying to make them to stop. Um, or maybe we um, distract ourselves by just busying ourselves. Like anything that like our our minds can construct to really sort of get us to avoid the actual sensation of fear. And so one of the kind of like most helpful questions to ask um, both yourself, but also ask your partner when, when like fear is present, um, whether fear is like mask as anger or grief or like something else, it's like, like, where do you actually feel that fear in your body and really kind of go back and like connect with the raw sensations of the emotion. Cause like all the things that like fear wants to create are kind of like projected outwards into the future. But like the actual, the present moment of experience, it's just, oh, there's like some sensations in body. Maybe it's like some frazzled sensations on my skin, or maybe it's like a contraction in my ribs. And one of the practices that both like Candace and I trained in uh, that have been really helpful for us is one called emotional resolution. It's a practice, it's short, short for MRES. And it's a practice where like whenever we feel triggered or activated in some way, um, it's like close your eyes. And just identify like what are two or three sensations that actually contribute to that feeling of activation? Like what is like anytime we have a like narrative in our head that like, oh my gosh, like she, 
she doesn't care about me or like she's attacking me or whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Like it stems from some emotion and that emotion consists of a set of physiological sensations in the body. And so if we can bring our awareness back into, okay, like maybe I feel um, some tightness in my left shoulder. I feel constriction in my rib cage. I feel maybe um, my like belly is sucked in. And then just give a moment where you place your awareness in all the sensations at once and you just do nothing. Mm. And you don't go to your head. You don't try to make them go away. You just be present with them. And when you're present with sensations, you'll notice after a while, they, they'll just like start to move almost as the body is the container. And that happens when you are able to essentially convey to your body that, okay, it's like safe for these sensations to be here. That just that piece right there. I want to highlight if I could just pause you for a second, like the, the it's safe in my feeling safe in our body is so incredibly important. And that's where I think people, we, we don't know how to feel safe in our bodies and we want to go to our head and we want to like, we want to make the feeling go away or we want to understand where it's coming from. We intellectualize and we want to turn it into this whole thing, but just like giving ourselves the, the pause and the moment and the awareness, and then just allowing ourselves to feel it and getting to a place where we feel safe feeling that is such a gift. And it's one that I think people are afraid of. So they shy away from it. And it's a big challenge because it's vulnerable, but it's also where like one of the biggest opportunity lies. Yeah. And when we can, when we can really kind of feel that safety in our body, those sensations will just naturally play themselves out, um, like detach from any story that we have around, like what the sensations mean. And so that's like a, that's like a really powerful, can be like a powerful like self-practice can also be a powerful like dual practice where, where like one person can hold space for the other person. Um, but that's kind of become like this very deeply embedded part of both my daily life, but also my relationship with Candace, where anytime something feels activated, we'll kind of know to just like close our eyes and just pause and like embrace the sensations in our body um, before kind of resuming. And I'll show you another, another kind of really simple practice that we do too. Um, we call it a reassurance pull. Um, like sometimes we, we feel there's like an emotion that feels too intense to feel on our own. Um, typically like some type of again, like fear. Um, like I'm afraid that, you know, like she doesn't care about my needs or I'm afraid that, oh, she'll, you know, be attracted to someone else or like whatever the fear might be. And again, there's like typically an avoidance of feeling that fear in the body. And so one th simple thing you can do with a partner um, is actually to just like reach out both hands and like kind of hold their wrists um and almost like have experience like pulling them into your fear where like they're they're providing some resistance you're kind of just pulling their arms you're pulling them into the fear sensation in your body uh and that helps convey to your body that oh you're actually not alone um that you're being someone is being present with you as you're feeling it and allows you again it creates more safety in your body to feel through that fear and the reason you know, there's this emphasis on kind of feeling through the feeling is because it's when we avoid the feeling that we actually become reactive. You know, when we kind of lash mm. out, it's because there's like some emotional experience in our body that we're like, that we're like pushing ourselves away from. That's the thing that creates like disconnection from ourselves, it creates disconnection from our partner. It like leads to reactivity, it leads to like snappiness, it leads to like all these sort of downstream effects. And the way through is just to feel the thing that you're avoiding. Um, and you can do that either with like an embrace practice, you can do that with that like reassurance pull practice. And there are various other practices. They're all really just focused on how can you uh, really be present and feel through that emotional experience so that you're no longer avoiding them. Uh, and so that you know, you know that you're safe. So good. Thank you for sharing those. That makes me want to 
go practice all of those myself and then also learn like yeah. a thousand more tools <laughs> because I love this stuff so much. <laughs> I just want to go feel all my feelings with all the people who want to feel them with me. I should probably have my own version of a men's group uh, or whoever group that is willing to say, if I could sit in a circle with a bunch of other humans and just feel feelings like every goddamn day, I'd be so stoked. Yeah. Like, well, <laughs> uh, okay. So um, I would love to just like the kind of final place I would love to take this is to touch briefly on desires, which I know is a big topic for you. I'm desires is like one of my favorite things to talk about too, because I'm so focused on just for, for myself. The thing I get most lit up by is like, essentially creating my dream life or working towards the things that I, you know, not like the goals and, and achievements that you're supposed to do in society. Um, some of those I'm interested in, but it's mostly, I, I, I love going after the things that make me feel alive or that make me feel lit up. And so using my desires as a compass and also love guiding other people around like how to tune into their desires and moving towards them and taking baby steps towards them and all that. But I know you were having yeah. some like just recent thoughts and experiences around sitting with desires and tapping into them. So any, anything that you want to share on the desires topic? Yeah. You know, one of the things that's been feeling alive recently is, uh, you know, like I, I'm someone who's like, even when we worked um, before together, you know, there was like a lot of like coming up with goals or intentions for the year or like intentions for, for a program. And so, you know, generally pretty, I think a lot of people in the world are kind of well-versed with the idea of like setting goals and setting intentions for themselves. Um, I think one of the, ideas that feels new is it's like allowing the there's like kind of what our head against kind of like going back to that like dance example it's like there's sometimes like what our head wants and then there's like allowing the sensation or feeling of desire in our bodies like when we hold a you know like when we hold a dream that we might have for something and we actually allow ourselves to sit in the desire for that dream like the sensation of desire in body is actually something that feels very like warm and pleasurable but oftentimes we kind of go into like figuring out mode or we go into oh no this is not going to work um or we maybe don't even feel the desire because we feel shame around it and actually allowing ourselves to hold and feel the sensation of desire in our body is actually one of the most important steps toward both having a clear relationship with it but also our ability to like manifest those desires and make them make them actually happen like I've noticed that a lot of times, you know, I think I think a lot of people, especially with um, like immigrants who had to you know grow up with like hard work, focus, you know, chores before play, it's very easy to have a mindset of very strongly delayed gratification where we don't actually allow ourselves to tune into and feel desire in our it. body. You got to earn it. It's for later, not now, and actually one of the things that like creates a lot more aliveness for yourself and also just creates a more a life that you actually like love and enjoy is like allowing yourself to feel desires in your body and i've been in the practice of like allowing myself to feel the desire and then almost like a ninja like like noticing when there's a thought that shows up that's like you need to figure it out or it's not going to work or like any number of ways my mind kind of shuts it down or sometimes my body will even shut it down where i'll like feel constriction in my body as I'm like feeling desire. Like insertion might be some blend of like fear or shame or some other emotion. And I've been finding it really helpful to kind of like that practice I shared earlier around like embras, like just embracing that sensation that shows up when the desire appears. And it's been having like a really big impact on how I make choices. Like I'm noticing that when I'm not able to, when I didn't feel through desires, 
sometimes I would win something. I would shoot it down my head, pogo stick to the other direction, shoot that down my head and then pogo stick back. And there would just be this pogo sticking action and behavior in decision-making. But when I'm able to like just hold onto the desire and just feel it all the way through, like a lot of that pogo sticking dissolves. It's like, I'm just feeling through the constriction. I'm not, I'm not like letting fear stop my desire. I'm like actually allowing it to exist in my body. And again, tell my body that it's safe to actually feel desire. Mm, the way you just described that is like the a perfectly articulated way of kind of how I would describe the desire piece of manifestation. It's like, you know, people say things mm. like feel the feelings of having it now or like release the how, you know, focus on the what and the why and then take baby steps and inspired yeah. action toward it. But don't worry about the how. And yet it's so hard for us to turn our brains off and be like, yeah, but I want this thing. But how is it possibly going to happen? And we come up with all these limiting beliefs and all these things we want to say. Right. But I think to be able to release the how and to let go of the the mind's just obsessive need to want to know what the plan is, the ability, like you were describing, of just actually dropping into your body and then just using your little spidey sense, ninja, ninja sense to be like, you notice when those beliefs or thoughts arise and you just sort of pull them, pull them away and, and, you know, undo the thread or whatever it is and just keep coming back. And so much of this is like, you just, you do it over and over and over and you keep coming back into your body, come back into your body. And I know like part of the reason I love working on desire stuff, is like I'll sit down and write out my manifestation lists and desires lists mm. and things. And whether I'm writing it or visualizing or just holding an image or the concept in my mind, it is, it's when, I re- when I'm not worrying about if it's going to happen and will I be disappointed if it doesn't and how is it going to work? It's when I don't worry about that and I just feel the feelings in my body of being there. You know, like I have one of my, um, I have a couple like specific visions that I, that I have been just feeling into for so long. One of them is Chris and I are saying we're flying first class. We're on our way to, I don't know what it is. It's, it's like mm. me doing some amazing international speaking gig or, you know, going to see some VIP client in like France or something. And we're, we're sitting in these seats and we cheers with champagne and he looks me in the eye and he goes, Sandra, you did it. And I look back to, at him yeah. and I'm like, I couldn't have done it without you. And then we just feel this sense of like, we're just mm. so stoked at having created this life. But I've felt it so many times that I literally feel like I've lived it a hundred times already. So when mm. it happens, it's not going to be like, oh my God, I did it. It's going to be like, of course. Cause I've already been there. And at the same time, I'm also not attached to it happening because it's the, it's the, it's who I'm becoming by being the kind of person that that might happen for. And so much of that is the like lived experience of embodying the vision and feeling the desire and the desire alone also just feels so damn good. Like allowing yeah. yourself the joy of holding the possibility of something, whether it's happened yet or not, maybe, maybe we already have it. Maybe it's coming. Maybe it's far away, maybe it's right around the corner, but just like, it, it's a really delightful, like you said, it's like a warmth in your body when you allow yourself to actually train yourself to hold it. Yeah. I think the other piece that's like really important uh, that I want to point out is like, until we can actually stabilize the feeling of the desire for that dream or goal in our body, like some part of us subconsciously is resisting that. Like, you know, one, one of my, one of my dreams is I want to have a, um, you know, like a best-selling book or memoir, or like something like that. And there was one day where I was, I was kind of in a meditation and kind of, kind of sitting with a desire. And like, I felt a constriction in my body. And when I tuned into it, it was, oh, I'm afraid that like, if I actually make this dream come true, that I might actually be feeling alone. Like I might be, you know, might have achieved some level of success that like creates distance from other people mm-hmm. in my life or creates distance from my wife. and I could tell in that moment, it's like, oh, well, if I don't feel through this thing, then there's always going to be a part of me that subconsciously sabotages myself because some part of me actually doesn't want to create that dream because it'll create, you know, it thinks they'll create this sense of like aloneness. 
And so like actually sitting in that sensation desire and kind of noticing like what are all the bumps that kind of show up as we try to hold that vision in our bodies. Like that's actually a way of doing almost like cleanup work or yard work. You know, it's Mm. like cleaning out all the weeds, getting rid of all the cruft that kind of holds us back from like fully wanting that thing. So, so good. I love the cleanup work um, analogy too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I think some people are like, you know, how, how do you identify what your limiting beliefs are that are getting in the way? And I think what you just described is actually a great way to do that. It's like actually sit with the desire long enough and probably something will come up. <laughs> and when it comes up, yeah. like, then congratulations, you're doing shadow work. You know, it's like you're, you're identifying something that's there. And if you're willing to, and then it's not like, oh my God, limiting belief must crush it. It's more like actually are you willing to look at that monster that's been hiding in the shadows in the corner that we mostly have been avoiding? <laughs> but the more we can just literally just sit and get quiet and tune in and look at the things that are uncomfortable, look at the things that are scary, look at the things about ourselves, especially that maybe we feel shame or guilt around or fear of failure or fear of success or fear of what will people think or pick your flavor of fear. We've all got them, you know, but like just that willingness to sit and be in the discomfort of our own poop, you know, mental and emotional poop is like one of the most ninja life skills I think we can gift ourselves with. And it takes practice. It's, it is a practice just like meditation is a practice sitting with your emotions and sitting with feeling into all of that in your own body is such a huge practice, but one of the ones I think is such a gift to ourselves and the people in our lives. Okay, so for the sake of not turning this into an 18-hour podcast, I'm going to bring this <laughs> home here. Any closing arguments, any final words for the people um, before we tell them where they can find you? I guess the, the biggest wish that comes through right now is just to have more people in the world have access to like emotional and relational tools to help them like connect with the emotional experiences in their bodies. Like as someone who used to be super heavy, um, like very disconnected from my emotional experience, you know, below my neck, it's just been such a rich and rewarding journey to connect with myself so much more deeply in my body. Uh, and it's been a journey of things like, like dance of like plant medicine of sacred sexuality, um, which is like a bunch of different modalities. Um, and there's just a wish for more people to have awareness that there is like another way of being and living. Um, and just to like, for those people who are interested to have access to like way more tools and practices to get them in deeper contact with their own emotional experience. Because I really feel like that's, that's like the path toward truly loving accepting yourself for where you are it's like to actually be in the feeling of whatever you're feeling so much yes to that so much fuck yes to that um and uh right there with you i wish that for all the people as well and because you are one of the kinds of people who are out there spreading the awareness about these tools and modalities and ways of being and living um i would also love for everyone who's interested to go stalk you on the internet and find all your stuff. So what are the best places that they can go, you know, sign up for your newsletter or check out um, any yeah. of the offerings you have and all that? Yeah. The thing that I'm actively creating right now is something called Awakened Partnership. Um, mm. like I feel like a lot of the, you know, practice that I've been sharing, yes, you can do them individually, but it becomes so much more powerful when you can do it with your um, like intimate or romantic partner. 
Awaken Partnership is really kind of focused on how do you turn your partnership into this container or this vessel for personal growth. Um, it's like our partners are the people who can, they like see through our bullshit. They like trigger us. They um, also are potentially our like greatest sources of healing because they can love us in exactly the way that we need in order to like heal the bits that, you know, need some healing. And so my wife and I are kind of actively building out Awaken Partnership, um, which you can find, you know, they go to awakenpartnership.com or awakenpartnership.substack.com um, to get our writing. Um, and we're really like, you know, I know I've been, uh, like I enjoy sort of being, being open and kind of sharing my own experience because I know that's part of the way that I can create the change I want to see in the world. And my life is exactly the same way. And I just know that there's so many parts of you know, our most important relationships that people oftentimes like don't share about or don't talk about. Um, and she and I are both like storytellers. And so we love just like sharing our own stories, both as a way of teaching, um, but also you know, inspiring like another way of relating that's possible. Um, and also as a way of holding ourselves accountable to like the change that we want to see in the world. And so Definitely love to connect with people um, through Awakening Partnership. We're starting to also start to do like two-on-two coaching. So if there are couples out there that want to um, coaching, whether it's like, you know, on sexuality, intimacy, but even more practical things like, you know, we've gone through phases where we have to figure out like, how do we merge our finances? How do we decouple like finances from power? Um, how do we like handle things like prenups? So we've kind of like navigated all these different things like monogamy, polyamory, like attraction toward outside people. How do we feel safe in our commitment toward each other? Uh, and we would love to support other couples in that work. And then if you're interested in also just my own personal writing, um, edmundlaw.substack.com, you can find some personal writing there too. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your tips and tools. And most importantly, thank you for your willingness to be so vulnerable and open and get super personal, not only, you know, sharing your inner world, but also teaching us and modeling for us what, how powerful it is and the magic that can happen when you open up that way and are willing to trust and surrender and, you know, open open the kimono <laughs> to the people yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> because it is very vulnerable and there's risk involved. And, you know, it doesn't always, when we put ourselves in these safe containers with people we trust, oftentimes it can go very well, even if it can be very messy, but sometimes we end up with um, less, you know, or like le leaky containers. Um, and sometimes we get hurt or sometimes we hurt other people. And I think just that's also part of the process. Like what, all this, all, all the stuff Brene Brown says about, you know, just, being willing to get into the arena and get messy. And, you know, sometimes we get a little bloody in the battle because it's risky to put ourselves out there and to get vulnerable, but it's so, so worth it. That's where so much of the magic and the richness, like you said, of our life experiences. So thank you for being a, um, a thought leader in this space and for, yeah, all the work that you do. Thank you for having me. And all you listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope this was helpful. Please go find Edmund and all his stuff. Um, any of you couples out there who want to go deeper, oh my gosh, take them up on their, their two-on-two couples coaching because I bet that's absolutely powerful. And we will see you in the next episode.